up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Pat Sheehan. I'm here with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave! NBA All-Star Game. Last night, Team LeBron gave Team Steph that work, kind of, for like a quarter and a half maybe. But, mm-hmm. the real talk, your girl Fergie, Fergalicious definition, make the boys go loco, had maybe the worst rendition of the National Anthem I've ever heard. That was bad, dog. It was just <laughs> poor poor pipes like poor singing and terrible like a weird cadence to it too like there's certain beats you hit with the national anthem and she was just switching it all up you know the national anthem they advertise it for every sporting event or they play at every sporting event so a lot of times i just like tune it out but i started actually tuning because i was like huh that sounded a little different i'm sitting there with my girlfriend and by the end we both were like what just happened that was unbelievable I mean, it kind of brings me back to that that whole opening pre-tip-off thing for the All-Star Game. You have mm-hmm. Fergie, then you have that Rob Riggle, Kevin Hart thing with Jamie Foxx and Ludacris and Adam <laughs> Devine and, uh, was it, Queen Latifah? Yeah. None of it made any sense. So, and then to top it off, you had Fergie, of all people. I mean, she hasn't yeah. been out there professionally in a while. So, I don't know. It's a weird choice. Very weird choice. Yeah, and I wonder, I mean... Fergie's been known to tie a few off before concerts and looser facilities at times. I wonder if it's a case where she just was like out of her mind before this, which you had one song to sing and you you blew it. But the NBA All-Star Game, maybe not the best weekend NBA All-Star Weekend ever. Depends who you ask. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, I actually did enjoy it. I thought the All-Star Game was great, especially at the end. And uh, I thought the dunk contest was pretty solid. I know some people, like Wob, famous basketball Twitter guy, are not happy with the liberal awarding of 50s, you know, perfect dunk scores. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's uh, a little in the weeds. But uh, I thought overall, I mean, I thought Dennis Smith, Larry Nance, and Mitchell were all great. I think three-point contest is always fun to watch, too, whether it was Paul George only scoring nine points in the Staples Center when that's everyone expects him to go to the Lakers and that's where they play. And, you know, all the, oh, George can't shoot in Staples Center, he's staying in OKC meme started. It was really funny. And then the skills challenge, a guard finally won, but uh, there's some good shit there. Luckily, MB cheated. That's the NBA. There's tons of stuff going on to talk about besides the actual basketball, and that's what makes it so fun. So, yeah, I thought it was a, a good weekend of events. Yeah, and if you want to follow Dave's thoughts on the events, you can follow his Twitter at Martin Swagger. I feel like you do a pretty good job of staying up to date with NBA basketball, Knicks basketball, NBA basketball, it's a double entendre right there. I don't even know if that's the right phrase, but let's move on (laughs) because we have a lot of pop culture to talk about, starting with your boy Chris Rock. So he dropped his first Netflix special, Tambourine, which he signed a deal back in October of 2016, a $40 million two special deal drop on netflix you know dropped on valentine's day what did you think of tambourine it, it, it covered a broad range of topics this is his first special since 2009's kill the messenger is chris rock still the same chris rock i think so i think yeah he's 10 years older he's very famous is he not the the biggest modern comedian alongside kevin hart probably or close Chappelle, to it probably yeah, yeah. But, you know, he's one of the few comedians throughout history that has crossed over into movie roles and just general fame outside the comedy sphere, right? You know, with that being said, I think his wit, I think his pen's still sharp. I think he had some more intelligent jokes. And, I mean, we've had the four Dave Chappelle Netflix specials so far, right? And I think a lot of those had some just sloppy jokes where people were kind of making a big deal out of what he was saying and if it was crossing a line or not. But I think the lead was kind of being buried because Dave Chappelle 
a very intentional comic was just being very sloppy and lazy with his joke telling. Well, I don't think Chris Rock really did that. I, I think everything was tight, pretty good. And I mean, I think he has some of the greatest specials ever. I mean, I think he's got like five or six official ones or whatever, but I thought, I thought it was really good. Yeah, just to speak to your point about his specials, I think 1999's Bring the Pain is probably the one that I recall where he's wearing like the black, all black with the black leather jacket over it. Yeah. That one just kills me every time I watch it. Yeah, Chris Rock, it's interesting. I, I thought the first half of this was a lot funnier and a lot sharper than the second half which is uh, the reason it's interesting is the second half was more aimed towards himself and being deprecating towards or at least dissecting the whole incident with his marriage falling apart pretty publicly he spoke about difficulties of the marriage going through the divorce process as well as addiction to porn which i thought was interesting to see him be that open about it Mm -hmm. but i thought the first half where he was doing more societal related dissecting society jokes was was sharper for me especially you know it starts off right away talking about you think a police would shoot a, a white kid every once in a while just to make it look less suspicious or however he phrased yeah. it he got right into it which right i mean for nine years since last special he wasn't pulling any punches for sure oh and i saw some people getting all mad and offended like oh, i used to like chris Rock. i was like come on you're the same people that you haven't were, been listening uh, to Chris Rock. Yeah, but also it's like, ah, oh, Dave Chappelle can write a lazy Caitlyn Jenner joke that is just not like that smart of a joke, but that's fine. But because we just had a shooting, suddenly the shooting jokes are no good. It's, oh, only Anthony Jeselnik can get that fucked up. Like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I thought when, and like I said, I thought when he was talking about those, it was probably his best stuff. The police shootings, the racism, bullying talked about trump i don't know it's interesting because i don't expect him to come out with the second special for a while which for netflix they could have dropped both at once like kind of like they did with Chappelle. obviously this is a much bigger deal for them a 40 million dollar investment is a huge investment for them do you have any idea when you expect to see that i would probably say not for another couple months to a year yeah probably you know i'm sure the information about when he shot these is probably already out there so i assume i'm almost positive the second one's already done so it's a matter of when they want to put it out. But yeah, it depends what else they have on the horizon because Rock, Seinfeld, Chappelle, formerly Louis C.K., they were all in that big money A-list Netflix deal that we recently were talking about. And you know, I think they just kind of want to spread that out when they pick their, their calendar. So, But they kind of do this all like last minute. Like We didn't know about this Chris Rock special until, was it a day or two before, right? Now, he tweeted it and then Netflix started promoting it, but it, w- it was very last minute. Yeah, I think it was Monday. That he tweeted that out. So it'll probably be a while before we see the second one, especially this one was, I think, based around a tour he was doing. Mm-hmm. It was directed by Bo Burnham, which is interesting. I was reading just some people's reviews, and they actually were talking about the way that he decided to show some of the shots when he was talking about his own personal life. Right. Which I'd never really thought about how you shoot a comedy show and how that impacts the way I, I take it in. So definitely something to be just, I think, aware of moving forward. Why don't we switch gears, though, move into music real quick. Car Seat Headrest, probably your favorite band from 2016 with their album Teens of Denial, dropped a not-so-new project called Twin Fantasy. It's a re-recording of an album that Will Toledo made in 2011 when he had pretty much just started Car Seat Headrest. They weren't even signed at the time. Did you get a chance to check this out? No, I'm not a Car Seat Headrest fan. I've listened. Oh, come on. You're a stan. I've listened to the 2016 record. I listened to the Something Whales song that everybody loved. I even saw them live at a Governor's Ball for like 20 minutes. And I was like, yeah, it's not my style. No doubt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got a chance to check this out over the weekend. And I have to say, I was not 
super optimistic for this. You know, the first single that they dropped off it, I think I mentioned it was 13 minutes long on the pod, and I couldn't really bring myself to take listen to a 13 minute long song. However, just putting this on in the background at work, I started tuning in a lot, which I know when I'm enjoying something, I tend to tune into the things that are in the background a lot more. And this album is very Carsey headrest. You know, it has some sharp writing mixed in with some humor, especially some self-deprecating humor self-aware humor but for the most part this album is pretty great and it's interesting because the reason he goes back to this album or re-recorded it was because his fans really stand for this the og carsey headrest fans from 2011 say that this is his masterpiece and he went back to it because he said i, I want to give this the proper work because obviously it was very low production quality right he doesn't really have super high production quality other than you know he has better instruments he has better recording uh, remixing and remastering it with all the resources he has now is obviously a big deal. Exactly. And it's a very introspective album that's written about a very small experience that's partially based on Will Toledo's life of you know having attraction or, or falling into an infatuation with another man. So the whole album is kind of based around that topic and like wanting to come out to friends, wanting to talk about people, feeling shame, feeling doubt, wanting to be near this person and all those feelings around it. So it's very intriguing to listen to it straight through and see like the wave of emotions that goes throughout the album. And it's very cohesive, which is great. It gets a little slow in the back end and a little bit like just into like very like trancey music at times near the back end, which kind of slows it down. But overall, I think that this is probably the best that you could have expected for Karsty Headrest as a, I guess, a follow up project to their breakout album. Right. So have you delved into the Karsty Headrest backlog, if you will? Because, I mean, they have six albums out from 2010 or 2011, which is of this, you know, twin fantasy ilk, you know, before they were signed, before they had, you know, major production quality. Have you got into any of that? Because they technically have like 11 albums to their name if you count the old ones, which, I mean, they should count. I think back when Teens of Denial came out, I was picking through a couple of the the more well-known or or more played songs, especially off Teens of Style, which came right before Teens of Denial. But to be honest, Carsey Headrest is the type of listen that I don't know if I go to them for enjoyment, but I go to them to appreciate the fact that they're an up-and-coming indie band that is doing really good work. The thing that makes this album so intriguing is you hear parts of like the Strokes at times or like the Postal Service, like the influence that they've had on, on him, especially in the song called Cute Thing, which I added to our uh, Spotify playlist, Nostalgia Best of 2018. Check it out. It's on our YouTube page also while you're there. Subscribe, share with friends, give us a rating review on iTunes, and go to our SoundCloud. But yeah, I would say Cute Thing and Bodies are the two songs that if you want to just check out, they're only six and a half minutes, so they're a pretty short listen for Carson Cataras. And they're very inventive. They have great guitar solos, so check it out. I think you should give Cute Thing a listen. I think you would actually enjoy this. I'll listen. I assume this is probably the last re-recording they'll do for a while. They probably picked this because everyone said it was their opus, so now they'll, I assume, get back in the, the lab for something new. Honestly, yeah, if I had to guess with how prolific Will Toledo's been with making albums, I would say maybe even by the end of the year we might see like a new project. It would be two years at that point. Even though I'm not like a fan of the group, really. Well, he is an interesting guy because he's only 25, same age as me, <laughs> and yeah. he's a very prolific guy in rock. And you know, as we say when we talk about festivals, which check that YouTube breakout out, there's no rock bands from the 2010s that can headline a festival. I don't think Will Toledo has the mainstream sound, but it's nice to see somebody young yeah. catching on early. I mean, all the rappers that are big and hot, all the new ones, they're, always, they're all really young. So we need that in the rock scene as well. Yeah, I'm trying to think who 
you could even like compare him to i'm not really sure i don't don't think he'll ever have the mainstream appeal to headline or even be like a top tier festival person maybe maybe for like rock specific festivals but Mm -hmm. i think he'll end up being top five or six liner probably for his career which honestly i don't think he really is thinking too much about that in terms of what that means to him something that meant a lot to me you you caught up so that means a lot to me too dave Amy Sherman Palladino's Marvelous Mrs. Maisel dropped end of November 2017. I made a lot of people's end of year lists, but not ours because we hadn't had a chance to really get through it yet. And I, I think I wrapped up back in either late December or early January. Yeah, I think it was January sometime. And then I think you started watching shortly after. You finished very recently. What do you think? Yeah, I think the show is very great, very fun, quite enjoyable. As you said, Amy Sherman Palladino, pretty prolific tv creator obviously she cut her chops writing for roseanne but got really big with gilmore girls which she created as well as the short-lived bunheads but i'm not going to pretend i'm a gilmore girls head or anything but she did become well known for like a trademark like a pitter patter like a ping pong style quick dialogue pace almost like aaron sorkin i guess you could say for tv and that that immediately grabbed me with marvelous mrs Maisel because the show i mean the conversations it uh, you know I think the ping pong description is the best way to put it because it's just so fast and it makes the conversation so fun. Exactly. This stars Rachel Brosnahan, who you would probably recognize most from her short turn, two season turn on uh, Game of Game of Thrones. Game of Cards. Yeah, House of Cards uh, on Netflix as Doug Stamper's prostitute infatuation. Also named Rachel. She plays Midge. Also, Michael Zegan plays her husband Joel. Other people you might recognize are like Tony Shalhoub. And Kevin Pollack play the fathers of Midge and Joel, respectively. Also, someone that I just want to shout out, Luke Kirby, who plays Lenny Bruce. Yeah, he's dope. Probably one of my favorite characters in this. Of course, Alex Bornstein, the voice of Lois Griffin, is probably the co-lead or secondary lead. From here on out, full spoiler. So check down below in the description. Go to the timestamp and click forward to Black Panther if you don't want this to be spoiled for you. We're big fans, so come back when you watch. Yeah, especially come to our YouTube page. You can check out the breakout anytime you want to. So yeah, uh, Midge is this housewife in what 1950s New York. Yeah, late late 50s, I think, is where the majority of it takes place in New York City. And she's married to Joel. They meet in college, fall in love. She becomes basically like the perfect housewife, even to the point where when she goes to sleep at night, she waits till he falls asleep, gets up, takes her makeup off, and then goes to bed and wakes up before he wakes up and puts her makeup on. So absurd. Absurd, dude. But her mom is the same exact way. It's insane. So basically, Joel is into comedy on, I don't know, passion on on the side of his whatever job as a vp for some company he bombs at a comedy club one night comes home and tells midge i can't do this anymore and basically sends her life into a complete another spiral that ends up with her on stage basically mocking joel but finding out that she actually has a, a knack for comedy which is brought to her attention by alex borstein susan myerson at the club and from there basically the season and it touches on a lot of different topics but it's just about her journey getting into the stand-up game there's a lot of different things that are covered in terms of like family relationships, marital relationships, friendship, on top of obviously imbalance of power between men and women in that time. What stood to you most in this season? What 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 drew you in? I think everything about it is just so grand. I think Rachel Brosnahan as an actress in this role, she just lights up the screen. She's so magnetic. Even when she's not even like talking, when she's just in the combo with someone else, I mean, she just steals the screen. And the lavish uh, apartments 
that they have. It just oozes wealth. It's really pretty. As well as, I mean, the costumes. So many costumes. I mean, and then when you factor in the 1950s era musical soundtrack that also screams expensive because they got some really well-known songs in there. Just a lot of effort was put into making the show feel authentic. I mean, it takes place at the Gaslight Cafe, which was a real place in Greenwich Village during that time. You see Oscar Isaac there at the beginning of Inside Lewin Davis, for example. Lenny Bruce, the comedian, was a real person, a famous person at that. Midge, she's basically based off of Joan Rivers and Phyllis Diller and all those like early Mm -hmm. pioneers for female stand-up comedians. So once you kind of just get into that vibe and you just go into the story, I mean, I think it's just really well done. The show started out with the Amazon pilot season, April 2017, Mm -hmm. and then very quickly afterwards, or sorry, March, they picked it up for a two-season order and a pilot season, which is very rare for Amazon. And I believe the second season is going to start filming next month. But yeah, just the overall effort. Just I mean, everyone seems so invested in making this show work. And Rachel Brosnahan really takes advantage of the opportunity. Yeah, Midge is one of the most magnetic characters I can re- remember watching on TV. It's especially in the last couple of years. But basically, almost every scene she's in, you talked about the dialogue, the way that she delivers lines, her facial expressions. The accents. Yeah, the accents. Even the way that she walks around the city or walk around the apartment or, like, lean against something is, like, so, like, precise. But, like, it really just gives off the vibe that this character, she's a magnet. She's this huge personality who's going to be huge. And I think that, on top of just the the writing in this is excellent. It ties everything together. A lot of good Jewish humor. Yes, exactly. And, like, each character gets moments that, like, they get to shine. Tony Shalhoub, his, his relationship with Marin Henkel's Rose, his wife in the yeah. show, and just oh, the way man. that they keep like moving the rooms or like <laughs> when they get in a fight, he moves the living room, she gets the dining room back. It just kills me. It's really smart and it humanizes everybody in it, especially Joel, who you pretty much end up hating right from the get-go. Oh yeah, he to, sucks. He does suck, but you come to understand him more. Yeah, I guess. His plight. <laughs> oh, so you're not, not a big Joel guy, huh? Something I appreciate the most was that those two split up at the end of the first episode, at the end of the pilot. And that was a very good idea. I'm having to drag out the, that, that. They got into the making it more about Midge right away, which I thought was a good touch. I'm curious to see what they do in season two with him. But yeah, I think they're kind of keeping a tight lipped about their plans. But I mean, he quit his job. Uh, he could just, I don't know how much. See, they didn't like really let him go throughout the whole season one. So I assume he'll be around still. I have a feeling they'll actually send him out to California. You know, that was one of the things they talked about. I think right. he'll probably come in and out of the season, but mostly be in California just to let it basically be Midge and Susie moving forward. I like that Abe, her dad, knows about her arrest record, and Rose mm-hmm. doesn't really know anything that's going on. They didn't, like, throw that out at in the season finale. You know, they, they kept those bombs primed for, you know, future storytelling, which I thought was smart. They didn't just kind of throw everything at the wall at the end. I really love this show. I, I can't wait for season two. I think the only, like, ma- minor quips I have is, like, they didn't really tell you anything about Susie. Her kind of dedication to Midge is hard to understand at times because you still don't really know anything about her, her backstory, they never go into it. And even kind of the same vein, Penny, the girl that Joel leaves Rachel for, never gets to say anything. Like, she's such a cipher intentionally. Kind of weird as they go and it's just like ah, well, it's i guess it doesn't matter but i don't know i thought it was kind of strange yeah I, I think it actually the the part about Susie is well taken that leaves a, a lot of space for her to have much bigger moments in season two it, it's just a really interesting and intriguing thing because it's somebody 
doing something that no one at that time was doing and there's so much so many obstacles for her to overcome so much plot there to work out so definitely looking forward to marvelous mrs mazel season two if you can remember I, I know i'm putting you on the spot would this have made your top 10 and where do you think it would have fallen for you that's a good question you know i, I probably like the season more than big little lies i think about it yeah i think i would have put it around like seven i mean it depends because like at the back end of my list i had like master of none and legion you know shows i really really like it's peak tv for you it's competitive yeah would have been tough yeah it'd probably be in there at some point at some level well something that i have a feeling because i'm, I'm going to be asking you another ranking question as we get to the end of the, this next discussion black panther i have a feeling it's going to be in your top 10 marvel movies of all time Ten, maybe even top five it should be in everyone's top 10 come on <laughs> it's funny side note went to go see this with my co-worker and today i was talking to her about how i've just been like thinking about the movie a lot since since i saw it and i was like is this one of your favorite marvel movies and she goes well it's the only one i've seen Dude. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, well, uh, I, I guess you're, you you have to kind of catch up. She's like, well, how many are there? I was like, like 18 at this point. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot I'm of going movies. to 08, girl. <laughs> yeah. She was, she was blown away. She had no idea, which I was like, to be that, that disconnected from movies at this point. I mean, everybody knows that there's all these superhero movies all the time. Right. I mean, that's the thing. When I, I saw it, I actually finessed my way into a Thursday night show with Movie Pass, which you can't buy a ticket up till the day of. Very proud of wow. myself for that. Nice. After that was good, I had like these two friends right behind me. And she's like, you know, I've never seen an Avengers movie before. Then her friend's like, I've seen every one. You know, <laughs> I think just the awareness of this movie yeah. is just so huge. And it's such a part of the zeitgeist. So many great pieces being written about it. Obviously, huge content factory right now. But yeah, the fact that it's attracting people of all ages, attracting lots of women, it is good to see. Good to see that such an event happen, Absolutely. especially in February of all months, which just doesn't usually happen at this time of year. Absolutely. So Black Panther, Ryan Coogler's third movie. I mean, I think we can probably spoil that we both really liked this movie. We both tweeted about it at different points. I took mine down because I spelled Coogler wrong, which, oh. I mean, if, if I don't make, make a spelling error in one of my tweets, did it even happen at this point? Hey, I saw someone uh, spell Kanye wrong recently. They called him like, wow, Kanye. The Y and the N were switched. I was like, ah, rough. That's one of his lines. My name Kanye, but some of my platinum still say Kane. <laughs> in 2018, nonetheless. That's amazing. But basically, this tells the story of uh, Black Panther, who was made aware of in America. Uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Nope, Civil War. Civil War. Yeah. Okay. 2016. 2016. It's when they blow up the building and his dad dies in it. I mean, it's kind of hard to... I don't want to go full spoiler because I want people to be able to listen to our, a breakdown of this, but this is a star-studded cast. Ryan Coogler got basically the some of the biggest names in Hollywood to come, some of the biggest black actors in Hollywood to come. Chadwick Boseman was playing Black Panther, Michael B. Jordan, Killmonger, Lupita Nyong'o, Nakia, Daniel Kaluuya, Wakabi, Denai Gurira, did I say that right, Okoye? Michonne from The Walking Dead. Finally got to do something else. And it's funny because she goes from having that those long braids in The Walking Dead to no hair in this. Yeah, Angela Bassett's in this, Forrest Whitaker, and then the overdone joke, the only white guys in it are Andy Serkis and Martin Freeman, the Tolkien white guys, ha ha ha. And you didn't even mention Sterling K. Brown. Yeah. That's how stacked this cast is. He's an afternote, but he was electric when he was on the screen. Dave, hit me with some stats about this box office opening. Yeah, so we're going to get, like you said, we're going to kind of get into the plot a little bit in a second, but there's a lot of data, a lot of records about this movie, which, I mean, I said before, February, not what you expect. The February record for opening weekend was set relatively recently in 2016 with Deadpool, and that was at 135 or so. 
And uh, let's see, how much did Black Panther make the middle of February? Well, it made $201.8 million. That's the fifth largest opening of all time. The highest ever for a non-superhero sequel. Second highest for a superhero movie, period, behind The Avengers. Absolutely insane. And along with The Avengers, it's the only other Marvel movie to get an A-plus cinema score. The word of mouth of this movie is going to be through the roof. Tracking mid-last week was 165 for this, which is already would have blown away Deadpool by $30 million. And then yesterday, Sunday, they were like, oh, it's going to be like 190-something. And then the Sunday was even bigger than they expected. It just continues to blow by projections. Some more of the comms score today is very interesting. As you expect, big turnout for African-American community, 37%. For comic book movies opening weekend, that's usually around 15%. So obviously, mm-hmm. people coming down in force, the Black Panther Challenge, a lot of people supporting that, a lot of famous people, you know, church groups and schools. So it's been a concerted effort to get people to see this movie. And then even 45% uh, female audience. Usually comic movies are between 35 to 40, so that's a great sign as well. And like I said, A plus cinema score, where mouth's gonna be great. Heck, I mean, even if you go down to some smaller records, twenty four point eight million opening bow in the UK and Ireland. That's more than the whole run for Justice League, Cap One, Ant Man, Thor. I mean, by like Tuesday or Wednesday here in the States, Black Panther's gonna pass the cumulative gross for X Men Days of Future Past. Anywhere you look, the four days probably gonna be like two hundred thirty five. Obviously President's Day helps. And this did very well overseas. So the myth that Minority-led films are not attractive overseas. I think that's over. That has to be over. Straight out of Compton, Get Out, Girls Trip, now yep. Black Panther. It's it's done. It's about time. Yeah, people want to see these movies, and, and they want to hear these stories. The thing that I think makes Black Panther especially appealing is that this is not only uh, a movie led by minorities and that has women in a very prominent role. I mean, his sister, I forgot her name in it. Sure. Shuri. Is... This what the most brilliant person in the world. Women are the warriors in this. This is a Marvel movie that has not only probably the best film they've ever had, easily the best, the 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 best theme or question at the center of it mm-hmm. that is actually intriguing and there's no real right answer to, and it is just a very thoughtful film. Yep, on so many levels. We should probably say if you tuned in <laughs> from uh, Marvel's Mrs. Maisel, we're probably having you tap out if you haven't seen Black Panther because from here on out, we probably will be getting a little spoilery. Um, but please come back when, once you see the movie. This is a movie we want to be talking about with everybody we can. Yeah, this starts off in 1992 Oakland. The band. And you have Sterling K. Brown plotting and then it basically has the old Black Panther tear him up. Mm -hmm. And then it shoots forward into the future and Chadwick Boseman playing the the now current Black Panther. And he's going to be made king because his dad's dead. And kind of the plot is driven by the fact that Wakanda is this very secluded society that has done this intentionally to remain safe and advanced under the radar. And that's kind of at the center of it is what is their role in helping others out? And Killmonger brings that to their attention, played by the magnanimous and amazing Michael B. Jordan. And the fucking swole Michael B. Jordan. Holy crap. (laughs) I mean, I, I, I went with some coworkers to see this. And when Michael B. Jordan, like, took off his shirt for, like, the fight, the they, like, these two women next to me gasped. They go, <gasps> they, I thought they were about to pass out. They were so, yeah. like, amazing. I mean, shit, I like. thought he was cut for Creed, but the, the, the sheer mass he put on for this movie was really impressive. <laughs> yeah, dude. Obviously, it's Michael B. Jordan, so you're going to get a class acting performance, but 
he is a believable villain because he was so huge and intimidating. I, I think, like like you said, it's thoughtful and with, with its themes and its villain. I think the reason Killmonger is the best Marvel villain is because he has real motivations that you understand that make sense. They're emotional, yeah. they're thoughtful, and they're grounded. And mm-hmm. not only that, but the questions he's asking... You know, he kind of has a point about Wakanda being secluded <laughs> and keeping its yeah. technology for itself and its intelligence and its ability to help people, you know, saving it, you know, the greed with that. And obviously his methods are, he's radicalized, but it makes sense. He, it's just so refreshing to see such a great villain in a movie of this scale. I mean, I think really Marvel only has three good villains and every, and then there's other ones that are passable and other ones that are just straight up bad and forgettable, right? I think Loki partially because he's been around a while, he's been developed, and then Vulture in Spider-Man Homecoming, who is similar to Killmonger, but not as emotional or relatable, but still, you can kind of see where he's coming from. I think everyone else was totally forgettable. So I'm guessing you're not giving your man Bucky villain status. I, I guess not. Winter Soldier is good when he was a bad guy, sure. And I think like Ego in Guardians Volume 2 is fine. I thought the idea of Ultron was better than what actually happened with Ultron. But then a lot of other guys, like Ronan in Guardians 1, the blue guy, Ah, Malekith and Thor 2, the Red Skull even. A lot of these just aren't aren't that great. I thought Baron Zemo was good in Civil War, but part of that was because he wasn't much of a villain. He was just kind of like a puppet master. You know, he's letting everyone else do the bad stuff. I think, I think the moment I realized Mike B. Jordan was going to be their best villain was the outfit he wore to that museum. Hell yeah. <laughs> just fucking absurd and outrageous. But actually, the, to be more serious, when he won the challenge against... Yeah. Child. Phenomenal scene. I actually was kind of like, Michael B. Jordan is Black Panther. I'm kind of here for it. Like, if, if they want to just, like, kill off Chadwick Boseman and go in that direction, I'm here I for have it. time I, for I, this. I'll watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, but, yeah, I agree with you. I think the fact that uh, Wakanda and Black Panther and their, their thinking in this, I actually disagree with, and they made them fallible instead of being, like, a perfect superhero like Captain America or something like that is what makes this movie so good is because there's – there's no right side in a way. It's just kind yeah. of like, how do you move forward from it and deal with it in the best right. way? And it, it brings in it brings in history in a way that's really thoughtful too. Like exactly. When, yeah, Killmonger dies. He says, "I would rather do this than be like my ancestors on, on the ship." It's really thought provoking at a, a societal level as well, which is just makes this movie class act. Yeah, they give Killmonger great agency in his death, which is not something that most villains have a chance of even doing because they're not developed or they don't you know, matter enough, right? But credit to Coogler for his, the vision of this whole movie just because as soon as you introduce this Afrofuturist African excellence paradise, the first thing you do is question if it was even doing everything the right way. You know, it's just such a ballsy way to go about it. And I think just the themes, like he's, everybody keeps saying thoughtful because that's what it is. And the fact that there's such a gray area in this kind of in a comic book movie like this is so important. But I think this this movie actually kind of stands above comic book status because of the questions it's asking. And you know, we always said Wonder Woman is very much better than the sum of its parts because of the meaning behind it. And I think Black Panther is very just a kind of a, a better version of that. I think Black Panther is a better movie than Wonder Woman. No sh- shots of Wonder Woman at all. But I think Black Panther's kind of gets deeper into it because it's actually asking the questions in the film, right? Wonder Woman, more or less, it was it was the take yourself out of the movie in real world and you know, how does it make you feel? But the whole, the core plot of Black Panther is asking these important and hard to answer questions. Yeah, difficult questions. It's hard to to 
find anything in this movie that I really don't like. You know, I'm thinking there were moments when I thought this could be the best James Bond movie of the year. Like when they're in that little casino, I thought that was a very James Bond type vibe. Shuri is very obvious analog to uh, Q from 007, the person giving very the gadgets nice. to the agent, Black Panther in this case. But I think what was great about her character is that she actually gets to go out and leave the chair, uh, which Q never gets to do. And you know, Spider-Man's homie and homecoming doesn't get to do. So that, that, that was really great to see. And Letitia Wright, clearly she's the breakout of the film. I mean, we saw her in she was amazing. the Black Museum episode of Black Mirror. She's kind of been on some British shows, but this is definitely her coming out party. And she actually also had some of the funniest lines, but it was the, don't scare me like that colonizer. And then the, yeah. what are those? Oh my God. The fact that you pulled off right. an internet meme in this, very commendable. <laughs> That actually would be the only thing I think is I don't know if they landed all the jokes that they wanted to, but for a movie that that wasn't really the point of it, that's a very small nit to pick. The costumes in this movie kind of going back, so I'm thinking about the challenge scene when they had when they crowned Black Panther. Like the costumes are just phenomenal. You think about the gorilla mask the guy wore versus the Black Panther mask and, and the challenge, and just even like the costumes for Killmonger and Black Panther in general were amazing. I thought Kendrick's music could have been actually utilized more, but I think whenever they did, it really created a good vibe to the scene. What did you think of the way that the soundtrack was used? Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, the majority of the times the songs they used were in that Korea scene. I mean, it's like when Claw pulls up out of his car, then the other people's car, then the, the car chase scene, which was a great scene. The casino scene was mm-hmm. great too. But I mean, that's when we heard the music. I feel like, did we get any of the songs in the third act? I don't remember. I think only All the Stars was played at the very end, right. like the credit scene. Right, right. Yeah, but I thought when they were used well, it, it worked well. I mean, was it Ludwig uh, Gordonson did the, did the score, which was separate from the soundtrack? We know him because he's worked with John Scambino for multiple projects. But I thought the score kind of fit the vibe of the movie well. And the whole vibe is quite impressive for, to Coogler's credit. I think they make Wakanda feel like a real place, both visually with um, some immaculate CGI, just cool futuristic stuff, but also the village scenes look really good too. I think if I had a quip, I kind of wish we could have seen more of Wakanda that in scenes that weren't immediately servicing advancing the plot some normal people some input would have been nice and you know black panther 2 is a foregone conclusion it was before this movie became a huge hit so there's opportunity for that i think obviously the first post-credit scene opening wakanda up to the world will present new opportunities and challenges so i think people coming into wakanda should be a big part of the sequel there's questions about what vibranium can and can't do how much it do they have that's fine i mean it's mcguffany at the end of the day it's okay what do you think of everett ross martin freeman's character we met him in civil war he's a, he's a big character from the comics very different portrayal in the movies i mean i like martin freeman but i didn't think you know he had an outsider perspective for the viewer i guess but i was kind of happy he didn't die at the end in that plane thing because there wouldn't have been enough emotional weight for it to matter yeah no i, I think for what the character was is just like a, someone that's moving the plot forward kind of giving a voice of people that weren't from that one specific country i thought he was great i thought he actually delivered some of the funniest moments it's martin freeman so it's kind of known for being a comedic but also a dramatic actor at this point in his career i thought he was great i thought andy circus was also good he was having fun yeah he got to just be crazy which i think he just really likes to do like you know Gollum. Uh, doing all the crazy CGI stuff, he's he's a man. You know, in terms of like the side characters, kind of now that we're getting to that discussion, we haven't really talked much on Akia, Okoye, Wakabi. Like, who from this probably would you say is your favorite side? Okoye was obviously such a badass warrior. Uh, great, like when she threw her wig. Great moment. Yep. Grace Jones looking bitches. I saw that going around. Uh, Grace Jones was definitely part of the uh, yep. 
Uh, what, 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 what was their the, the warrior group called? I forget. Uh, they're Dash. called the Dora Milaje. Dora Milaje. Yeah, yeah. Milaje. Yeah. So Grace Jones definitely was a Dora Milaje earlier in her career. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen another scene with Wakabi and Okoye because, like, the fact that they were like lovers, we only know that because they told us. We didn't really see it. So I mean, I'm sure that was on the cutting room floor. It's a minor thing. They're both still alive, so maybe it'll come about in Black Panther two. Nakia Lupita Nyong'o is great. I was kind of confused about exactly what her role was. She's just kind of a nebulous spy, which was fine, mm-hmm. but she's not in the Dormelage. Again, it's okay. Just kind of a, a question I had. I thought, actually, of all the, the ensemble, this great, talented group, I thought the weakest character was Angela Bassett, the mom. By far. I mean, even when they go to uh, up in the mountains to Winston Duke's clan, like, I thought there would be a moment for her to take charge with T'Challa, still uh, KIA, assumingly. But no, she really doesn't do much there, so... I kind of hope they don't like kill her off early in Black Panther 2 because she'll go the way of Thor's mom. Remember Thor's mom got killed and nobody <laughs> cared because she wasn't much of a character to begin with. I kind of hope they don't do that to Angela Bassett, but we'll see. And even if they do, it's not a big deal, obviously, but just something I could see coming. And then I think some of the CGI was stronger than others. There were some moments where it definitely stood out. Yeah, actually, I agree with you. Angela Bassett kind of got the raw end of the deal here because... Basically, they were like, yeah, you're just going to hang out here in these mountains while we have all this action going on. Just take, take a seat on the bench. Sterling K. Brown, though, I feel like every scene he was in held probably the most emotional weight for me in the movie. Not only did it set up the whole conflict, why Killmonger is seeking to turn things upside down in Wakanda, but also when he talks to Killmonger in that, like, I don't know, afterlife dreamlike sequence. Yeah. It really adds an emotional weight to the movie and it fleshes out the villain so much more that he really was essential to Michael B. Jordan's performance, I think, in a way. Probably mm-hmm. elevated him in some respect. He's on such a high class of acting right now. Right. I mean, I thought those yeah. two astral plane scenes were actually really important because, oh, huge. I mean, the first one establishes the conflict within Chadwick Boseman, within T'Challa, you know, becoming a new king and not knowing, you know, really how he should rule. And then you get a totally different version of that scene with Killmonger later on. And mm-hmm. I mean, you humanize both characters. I mean, it's just just so expertly well done. And that's why, while I have minor quibbles with decisions in the movie, I think any movie that's two hours long, you're going to have those questions. The script, the themes, the maturity, everything about the movie is just so darn commendable. I wanted to bring you around to kind of start wrapping up this conversation. Coogler's had three movies now. Where would this rank in Coogler's films? That's a good question. Fruitvale, Creed, and this. I mean, it's a good question. It's interesting, too, because Fruitvale caught Fruitvale Station, the Oscar Grant murder story. Yeah. That cost 900 k Creed cost $40 million, and this cost $200 million before marketing. So <laughs> Fennessy had a great tweet uh, in terms of a director getting this acclaim as he scales up. It's an interesting thought experiment. But is this his best movie? I think it might be. I mean, maybe you can make an argument for Fruitvale Station. I think this is kind of the evolution of Creed in terms of his directorial decision-making. Yeah, I would probably put this as his number one, but I, I really enjoy Creed. Fruitvale is really good, and it's a phenomenal Michael B. Jordan performance, just a story in general. So, but I think this has to be at the top for me. Now, probably the question you were expecting, where does this rank in terms of Marvel? Movies? I've only seen it once, of course, but I've seen a lot of people sure. still loving it after a second viewing, which is a good sign, of course. And I think it's pretty easily a top-five movie, but for me, it's pretty... My, I don't. It's early to call it my favorite, but I mean, I think if you're kind of group like the ones that are that should be in a in an objective conversation, right? Obviously, there'll be personal preference changes your order, but the best of the best are Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Winter Soldier, The Avengers, 
And then depending on your preference, you can have Iron Man in that mix. You can have Thor Ragnarok in that mix. Homecoming? Avengers? Uh, Avengers is in there. And in the back end of your top ten, you maybe you have Civil War. Maybe you have Homecoming. I mean, yeah. but, but those first ones I said I think are the ones that realistically are in the conversation. And I like Winter Soldier a lot, especially at the beginning. But I think this movie is more consistent through and through. I'd probably put it up there with Guardians. I love Thor Ragnarok, but because Thor Ragnarok is just excelling in comedy, it shouldn't be higher than those two because Guardians, the whole vibe was just different. So I think this is it's, it's this one in Guardians for me than Winter Soldier probably. Yeah, I'd probably put this one. I mean, in terms of ones of a Marvel movie, I've thought about the most. It's got to be number one because it's like the most thought-provoking and just smart movie that they've probably made. Yeah. But yeah, Guardians is probably the most fun. And Winter Soldier for what it was and just kind of like setting up I think plot moving forward meant a lot. So it's hard to say. It's really tough. And that's the thing, too. I think the way you have this conversation needs to change as the years go through. I mean, obviously, Marvel continues to learn stuff. So the Thor Ragnarok Black Panther run right now is a great run. And then Infinity War, yeah. I don't think will be better than these movies because it has so many moving parts, but it's going to be so big, right? And so important. You have to kind of make these changes in your mind do you still love iron man because of the movie or are you just giving it points because of what it means and how important the movie is in history and that also kind of extends to avengers but i think avengers still really holds up iron man still holds up well too but i think iron man the things iron man does well have been built up upon in future films not Iron Man's mm-hmm. fault, but you have to kind of acknowledge the way it goes. So Winter Soldier, I really want to watch again. I haven't seen it in a minute just because knowing the S.H.I.E.L.D. thing happens in that movie, do I still love the thrower as- aspect of it? Because the third act of it is very marvel at the time, you know, the CGI heavy. And while Black Panther still has a CGI E third act with their fight on that train, reminded me of Qui-Gon Jinn and Darth Maul in The Phantom Menace. It reminded me of The Last Jedi, that scene with Rey where she throws it up and cuts the cuts the guy in half you know where yes he's like got her reminded me of that exactly yeah like, that's a star wars shadow gotta be but black panther has what a lot of the other movies didn't have because they didn't have good enough villains to pull it off which was that scene on the cliff where killmonger yeah. you know giving the line about the slave you can't review any of these movies in a vacuum right no but you also have to kind of review every movie in that that frame what iron man meant in 08 and in 2012 is not what Iron Man means in 2018. I think Black Panther is at the top of the list or close to it. I mean, obviously, preference is preference, but I think objectively, the importance of history and the questions it asks are things that no other Marvel movie has ever done. Yeah, and I think the timing and just what it means to minorities and to women as well, having like being put in such positions of power and having it be right. just about these stories is so important. I think your point is right on. Any any last thoughts on Black Panther? Anything we didn't touch on? Funny thing I saw going around. So remember uh, Winston Duke's clan up in the mountains? They said they were vegetarians, yet they were wearing like yeah. that. They were in that fur, so they're okay with killing animals. They just won't eat them. Sounds wasteful to me. <laughs> yeah. Also, Shadow's bow has been. I, I need more from you when you say, "Can someone get me a blanket when you come back from the dead?" There, <laughs> I, I, I just needed more in that moment. Yeah. Didn't land with me. Now, overall, Black Panther, definitely see it. And tweet at us your thoughts at NostalgiaPod, at Martin Swagger, at Sheeny World Peace. We want to be talking about this moving forward. I have a feeling we'll probably be touching on it on our year-end list yeah. for sure. We got a couple of things next week coming out, right? What, what's on the docket? We got Annihilation, the movie from Alex Garland, director of Ex Mahina, comes out Friday. 
You may have seen this trailer, Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, Oscar Isaac, Jennifer Jason Leigh, a sci-fi movie. The early spoiler-free Twitter embargo reviews were very positive, and I've been excited for it ever since I saw it. I love Ex Machina, so I'm very excited to see that. I will be talking about it next week. I hope you can see it too. And then also Mute is a movie from Duncan Jones coming to Netflix on Friday. Duncan Jones made two really well-liked movies, Moon and Source Co., Jake Gyllenhaal, and then he made Warcraft, which wasn't liked so much. So he's back with this new one from Netflix. It has Alexander Skarsgård, Paul Rudd, and Justin Thoreau, and comes on Netflix. I'm eager to see that as well. So that's the movie front. There's some some rappers coming out. Tokyo, I think, is probably the most critically important one. Frequent collaborator of Chance the Rapper and Vic Mensa from Chicago. It's his debut album. I'm excited to hear what he has coming. And then SOBXRBE, Quartet, from the Black Panther soundtrack that I loved on Paramedic. Their second album comes out Friday. Got a lot of stuff to listen to, and uh, I'll definitely make it a point to see that movie either Friday or, or sometime Sunday afternoon. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about, but overall, hell of a week. Talk about Maisel, Black Panther, Chris Rock. That's quite the three. And Carsey Headrest ain't no slouch either. So yeah, as I said before, check out our YouTube page. Subscribe, please share with friends. Also, check out our Spotify page. Give us an iTunes review. This all helps, and we appreciate you all so much. We'll see you next week. All my days, I'm